Welcome, everyone. We are so glad you're with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're with us today. Everyone that's connecting with us online, we are so glad that we've been able to connect both in person and online now uh, as a church family. And we understand if you need to be home, if you uh, aren't ready yet to come back to the campuses, that's perfectly all right. We want you still, though, to stay connected and growing and serving together. But we're also happy to have those that are here together in person at our campuses. We are in a series that we started several weeks back called Navigating the New Normal. And in this series, we're looking at the book of Philippians. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church. He had helped start the Philippian church, and now he's been away for a while, and he has been going through a lot of trials, and he's been arrested. He, he's traveled to Rome. He was shipwrecked on the way, all kinds of problems. He gets to Rome where he's uh, under house arrest and chained to a guard, waiting for his trial, and he's in that situation for two years. It was a new normal for Paul. Paul had been used to traveling and taking the gospel all over the world and, and sharing one-on-one and talking to the crowds, and, and this was different for him. And that's why I thought this series would be so appropriate for all of us because we're all dealing with a new normal for us too. And in Paul's letter, we learned some key things that Christ followers should be doing during this time of a new normal. In fact, every one of these things are things that we should have been doing all along anyway. But I believe God is using this time, this new normal time, to call the church back to those things that we should have been doing and that we need to be doing right now and that needs to stay consistent in our lives. These are the last days. We've been in the last days since Jesus went back to the Father. And during the last days, there are people that are going to be doing bad things. There are crazy things that are going to be happening in the world. But the church is supposed to remain constant, steady, steadfast in our faith and in our obedient work that we do in the name of Christ. So in this series so far, we've looked at how we as Christ followers need to be praying with thanksgiving, even during this trying time that we're having. We need to focus on the positive, even though there's a lot of negative around us. We need to uh, identify with Christ and his sufferings and, and stay faithful and true as Christ has for us. And last week, we talked about how we need to understand that God has a purpose in all of this, that he's going to use this for the glory of God, for the work of the kingdom, to call people to repentance. He's going to use this time for good things. And today, we're going to continue that thought with looking at how we need to care for others in our new normal. Should we have been caring for others before this? Yes. But we are reminded more than ever during this time of somewhat social isolation that we need to do a better job of caring for each other. And how important it is to have real friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, going through this together with us. There were three friends who were stranded on a desert island and they found this lamp and uh, rubbed it and a magic genie came out and said, uh, there's three of you, I'm going to grant one wish each for you. Every one of you gets one wish. The first one said, I wish I was back home with my family. Poof, it's gone. The second one said, I want the same thing. Poof, he was gone. 
The third one said, I sure do wish my friends, I wish they were here. I miss my friends, I wish they were here with me. Poof, they're back. We don't want friends like that, do we? We want friends who really care about us. And here's the thing about having friends that care about us. You can't have friends like that if you don't care about others the way you need to. That's where it all starts. In Ecclesiastes 4, there's a great passage beginning with verse 9. In fact, it's going to be the theme for our next message series that we're going to be doing called Stronger Together. Here's what this passage says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In this letter to the church at Philippi, Paul mentions some co-laborers, co-workers that are serving with him. In fact, one a commentary that I was reading said over all of the New Testament, Paul mentions over 100 co-laborers that served with him. Paul was concerned about others, and he understood the need to work together in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ, how much we need each other. And he teaches three practical principles in the passage we're going to look at today. If you want to have strong friendships, if you want to have people care about you and what you're going through, then how important it is to develop these three characteristics so that you're doing this for others and then you can have that in your life when you need it. Three practical principles. The first one he talks about is this. Develop a genuine interest in others. Develop a genuine interest in others. Look at verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Uh, he, he's setting a tone here that's important for us to understand. If we're going to have strong friendships, if we're going to really be united together as brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul's concern is to send Timothy to them. Now, Timothy was a great help to Paul. He, he, he was a strength to Paul. He was helping Paul do practical things that needed to be done, that needed to go on and take care of churches and check on things and all of those things that he needed to do and that Paul couldn't do now under house arrest. So Timothy was benefiting Paul greatly, but Paul's greater concern was, I want to send Timothy to you so that he can see firsthand how you're doing and I could get a report back from him. And if I could hear that you're doing well and that, and, and that you're taking care of things and that God, God has provided everything you need, if I could get a good report about you, that's what's going to give me strength and encouragement and joy in my life. It was his concern for others. I can't tell you how many times during this pandemic I've heard brothers and sisters in Christ had an opportunity to talk with them and the topic of the conversation has been all woe is me. This is so awful. This is so terrible. Uh, it's so hard for me. It's so hard for my, it's so hard. And I understand it's hard. It's hard for everybody. But very few of them were asking about others, wanting to hear about others. 
Now, this morning, I'm so thankful. Uh, my mother-in-law had surgery this past week, and she's 86, and she's been going through a rough time with her health. And several people all morning long have been asking about Lois today. Now, part of that's because Lois is such a charming woman. But part of that's because they really care about me and my family and Lois being part of that. They care about that. Now, some people didn't know about it, so they didn't know to ask, but some people did, and they did ask. You see, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be there for each other. We need to be interested in others. If you do this, here's what naturally happens. It helps you get your mind off your own problems if you're really investing in other people and caring about them. Instead of getting in this self-pity mode, if you're really checking on others and wanting and caring about others and wanting to be sure they're doing okay, it gets your mind off of your own struggles. And that helps you have a better mindset, a more positive approach to life. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 58 verse 10. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Did you get the connection between ministering to others, caring about others, being interested in others, and how that will refresh your life? That's how it works, friends. Instead of being so inwardly focused, self-absorbed in our problems, when we're reaching out and caring about others and showing more of an interest in what's happening with others, we are refreshed as a result of that. Another result is this. If you do that consistently, here's what's going to happen. You will end up having friends who care about you too. Now, what usually happens with people that aren't quite where they need to be in their maturity and their walk with Christ is they sit back and wait and see who's going to check on me, who's going to be interested in what's going on in my You sit back and wait for people to come to you. And then you keep score. You know, they didn't check on me. Uh, the pastor didn't call. Somebody didn't come by or call me or, or text me or email. They, they didn't even care, right? And maybe they did care. Maybe they didn't really know what was going on. Maybe they were going through something hard that you didn't know about because you didn't check on them. See, if we get our minds off of ourselves and really invest in others and show a real interest in others, we end up with people who appreciate us doing that. And then you know what that creates in them? An interest in a caring for us. And we're doing that consistently. It begins with us caring about them instead of sitting back and waiting for them to care about us. That's the better way for it to work. And then we end up in Proverbs 17, 17. It says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I know a lot of you are going through struggles right now, but guess what? So is everyone else. And a brother is born for times of adversity. That's when they need you to be their brother, their sister, because they're going through hard things too. And so if we can take the initiative to show that interest in others, it develops that kind of bond with those people where we have friends too who care about us. Well, the second thing he says here, 
uh, that he teaches in this passage is that we need to offer sincere encouragement to others because we are interested in them. Look at verse 20. He's talking about Timothy still. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things uh, go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Do you hear Paul's words of encouragement to two groups? He's saying, I want to get Timothy over there to see you because I know how much he loves you and cares about you. Do you like hearing that about someone? That they love you and care about you? Doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't that build you up to hear that? And that's what Paul's doing for the church at Philippi. He's saying, not only do I love and care about you, am I interested in what's going on in your life? Timothy loves you like I do. He cares about you like I do. In fact, I don't know anybody else who cares about you as much as he does. So many other people are so self-absorbed. They're only interested in themselves, but not Timothy. Timothy cares about you. But guess who else he's encouraging? Timothy. Don't you think it made Timothy feel great to hear Paul talk about him like that? Brag on him like that? Like he says, Timothy's like a son to me and how we've served together in the work of the gospel. It's like a father-son relationship. And Timothy has proved himself to be, to be so dependable and loving and caring and such a help to me. And I know he can be that help to you too. And I want to come see you soon too. But in the meantime, Timothy can go and encourage you like I would. He's building Timothy up. Now, friends, I don't care how old you are or how long you've served in, in the church. Everybody loves to hear somebody talk about them like that. Everybody. It builds them up. And I don't care how much they've messed up. If they're trying and they're getting back on track, the best thing you can do is, is for them to hear you bragging on them like that. Man, what an encouragement that is to people. And in this time of pandemic and when we can't have the same kind of social connections we're used to having and people coming in, we, we would air hug, right, or, 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 or maybe bump elbows. We can't do what we normally do. Words of encouragement, just a phone call or an email or a text, those things mean so much during times like this. Instead of sitting back and waiting on other people to do that for you, you could be that encouragement to them. You could be the one building them up, strengthening them, and their walk for Christ. And again, it helps you when you do that. Here's the thing about being part of the church, the body of Christ. It's described a lot of ways in Scripture. One of the ways it's described is that it's a body of Christ. We're all different parts and we have different functions and ways we need to function and, and contribute to the good of the whole. But, but what the Scripture teaches us is that every part needs to do their part to build up the others and make the others stronger. During this time, that's needed more than ever in the church, that everybody steps up and does their part to build up all the others in the body. We need it more now than we've ever needed it in our lifetime because of the distancing we've had to do, the, 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 the norm that's been changed now to the new normal. We, we need this element of being in Christ more than ever before. It uses the term that we're family, 
and that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I've got two brothers, and I love them, but we don't always like the same things. We don't always like doing things the same way. We have been known to disagree. We've been known to argue. But you can say this about my brothers, and I will be there for them. They will always be there for me, and I will always be there for them, always. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. We're there for each other. We are, because of our common bond in Christ, we are cemented together in a relationship that is strong in our commitment to Christ and to each other. I love uh, an example of that kind of relationship from the Old Testament. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's David and Jonathan. If you know that story, it's, it's an amazing story of how they had such a tremendous friendship in the Old Testament during that time. And 1 Samuel 18, beginning with verse 1, it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Saul was king at the time, and David, God had already chosen him to be the next king. It says, after talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Listen to this. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. We don't have an English equivalent to the Hebrew here, but this phrase uh, that he loved him as himself uh, has a Hebrew word that's used there that could be translated same-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D, same-souled. They had this inner connection and their bond to each other, same-souled. Well, if anybody ought to be same-souled, it ought to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to have that kind of commitment to one another. It doesn't mean you always agree with each other. You may be on the wear the mask camp or the no mask camp. You may be on the social distance camp, not social distance camp. You may be one political persuasion or the other. I don't even want to say the words. They're too divisive, right? But if you're same soul, what can you still do? Still love each other, care about each other, build each other up. And Lakeshore has been such an amazing example of that for so many years, the unity of the diversity that God has placed into God's family here at Lakeshore. And it doesn't mean it's always been smooth and everybody's always agreed. If you find a church like that, don't go there, please, because you'll mess it up. You will, because you're going to have some differences from the people there. And if they are all together, you're going to mess it up. That's not what I'm talking about. Just... Unity is not the same as uniformity. Those aren't the same thing. You can have unity with diversity. And David and, and his brother that he had, that, that Jonathan and that relationship, that, that relationship was not based on them being exactly alike. They were very different people. But they were united and bonded together. Same souled brothers. You see, that's the purpose, one of the major purposes of the church, of, of, of the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ, the church, is the fellowship aspect. That word fellowship, that's translated fellowship in the New Testament, is a word that means at its base, at its root, it means to share life with each other. 
It doesn't mean you share the same likes. It doesn't mean you share the same dislikes, the same persuasions in every area of life. It means, though, that you share life together, even with your differences. You're committed to each other in life. In Hebrews 10, it's talking about uh, the, the response of the church. It says in verse 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we pro profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Encouraging one another means to pour courage into them. How much have you been doing in this pandemic time of pouring courage into your brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging them to be strong and faithful and staying connected and involved? You see, not giving up meeting together can also mean online, connecting online through the internet, through text messages, through phone calls, oh, any way of connecting. Don't give that up. Don't stop doing that just because of a pandemic. We still need to be building each other up and encouraging each other. All along the way, there are ways to do it, even in the middle of a pandemic. And we need to take the initiative to do that for each other. And here's what happens. Encouraging others strengthens you in the process. Hebrews 3.13, it says this. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know what's happened during the pandemic? Uh, I've been in these studies that they've been doing and surveys that they've been taking among pastors all over the world, one-third of people that were actively involved in church before the pandemic hit have gotten totally disconnected from church during this time. They're not connecting online. They're not connecting with life groups. They're not doing any of that, one-third. And what happens when you lose that connection is you begin to get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's why we need to encourage each other not to let that happen. We all need to be involved in that process of encouraging each other so that no one has the, the, the terrible thing happen to them, that they become hardened by sin's deceitfulness in their lives and they lose that connection to Christ and the life that he brings. The third thing he tells us to do here is this. Practice unselfishness in your relationships. Practice unselfishness in your relationships. Listen to his words, continuing in verse 25. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Hold on, did you catch that already? Epaphroditus was with Paul. Why? Because the Philippians had sent him there to help Paul. But what's Paul now more concerned about? What's he willing to do now? Send Epaphroditus back to them so that he could help them instead. It says in verse 26, For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard, uh, you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So Epaphroditus had gone to help Paul. He had gotten sick, seriously ill. He had now recovered, and he was concerned about his family and his friends back in Philippi because they had heard that he was sick, and they wanted them to all know he was okay. And Paul was more concerned about them than he was about himself. So he says, I'm going to send them back over to Philippi for you. I want you to be able to see him 
and be encouraged by his recovery, that he's doing well now, and he needs to have that refreshment and that encouragement in his life now that he's recovered from his illness. He needs that too. It says in verse 28, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so when you see him again, you may be glad and may, I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Paul is under arrest, awaiting trial, but now he's planning to send Timothy and Epaphroditus, both of whom were there to help him, back to Philippi. That's the unselfish kind of friendship Paul had, the unselfish kind of concern Paul had for others while he was going through this hard time. Proverbs 18, 24 says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wow. Unreliable friends are those that care more about themselves than they do others. Reliable friends are those that stick closer than a brother. Paul was that kind of friend to those at Philippi. Paul was that kind of friend to Timothy and to Epaphroditus. And he's encouraging them, you be that kind of friend if you want to have those kinds of friends in your life. It starts with you being that kind of person yourself. You doing those unselfish things for others that you need to do. Now, I know there are all those who would say, but there's an exception. I've tried to help people and all it's done is come back to bite me. I hear people posting that kind of stuff, see them posting that kind of stuff on social media. I hear people talk about that kind of stuff all the time. It just comes back to bite me. Well, you know what? It tells me right away the attitude that you did it with was wrong to start with. If you did it just so they would do something for you, then that wasn't an unselfish thing you just did. You see, there's a difference in doing it to get something and doing it out of unselfishness just because you love them and care about them. But even if every other human being you thought you could count on let you down, believe me, human beings will let you down sometimes. They're not perfect. Even brothers and sisters in Christ aren't perfect. You shouldn't expect them to be. Even pastors are not perfect. What a confession I had to make today. I know it shocked many of you, but here's the thing. You have a friend who is, and he's closer than a brother. And he takes a genuine interest in others, and he offers sincere encouragement all the time, and he is totally unselfish, and his name is Jesus, and Paul already introduced him and reminded them of that in Philippians 2. Remember verse 3? He said this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Listen to Jesus' mindset. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the scripture tells us he did that while we were his enemies. While we weren't there for him, 
while we weren't consistently there supporting him and loving him and caring about him, he did this for us. What a friend we have in Jesus, right? The most amazing friend of all. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that we have such a friend in Jesus. I also want to thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are using this time the way you want us to use it. Building up others, asking about, showing interest in others, caring about others, helping meet the needs of others. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. And Father, instead of us sitting back and waiting on others to do that for us, help us to understand that you've called us to initiate those things, to do those things for others without any expectation of anything in return. Help us to remember the example of Jesus and how he's done that for us, even when it costs him everything. Even when we fall short and we reject him and we're not faithful to him, he has still always been that friend for us, consistently there sacrificing for us. Father, may we follow in the steps and the example of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.